0: Welcome to Nerd Heaven, I'm Adam David Collins, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 22 of the podcast. Today is my first installment of my Lord of the Rings Read, Walk and Watch series. If you've been following my content anywhere, you're most likely aware that I've been doing the walk to Mordor challenge. Using a pedometer, and an app on my phone called Walk to Mordor, I enter the distance that I've walked the end of each day. The app tells me how far along the legendary journey from the Shire to Mordor that I've travelled. And there are a lot of milestones along the way. From time to time, I'll do one of these episodes, digging into the story of Lord of the Rings discussing it as far as where I've walked, drawing from both the books and the movies. I'm not really going to be comparing the book and the movie. I'll just be drawing from both. In this instalment, I'll be talking about the beginning of the story, up and until Buckbury Ferry. Lord of the Rings Part 1 The Fellowship of the Ring was written by J.R.R. Tolkien. It was first published in 1954. The movie was written by Fran Walsh, Philippa Bowens, and Peter Jackson. It was directed by Peter Jackson, and first released in cinemas on the 19th of December 2001. The description on IMDB reads, A meek hobbit from the Shire and eight companions set out on a journey to destroy the powerful One Ring and save Middle-earth from the Dark Lord Sauron. So let's go on an adventure. My first experience with The Lord of the Rings was seeing Fellowship of the Ring at the cinema. I hadn't read the books prior to this, and I was blown away by the epic scope of the story. So I'm not a hardcore, lifelong Tolkien fan. There are many people who could run rings around me in terms of their knowledge of the lore of Lord of the Rings. So I'm not doing this as an expert, just a nerd geeking out over a story that I think we can all agree is pretty darn awesome. Both the book and the movie start off giving us backstory and setup, but they do it in very different ways. The prologue in the novel reads somewhat like a non-fiction book, written in-universe. No book would ever be published today if it began this way, but there's a certain old fashioned charm to this prologue. While the book focuses on the smaller details, the history of the hobbits, and how Bilbo came to have the ring, the movie delves right back to the creation of the ring and the first battle was Sauron. Important aspects of the world that the books keep a mystery for now. I think both were the correct choices for the given medium. See, I said I wasn't going to compare the two, but given the different ways that they start, it's kind of hard not to. This opening sequence for the movie sets up the stakes from the beginning. We know how powerful and how dangerous this ring is, so when it comes into Frodo's possession, we already fear for him. These sequences were great to watch. This movie was pretty revolutionary in its use of CGI to create huge armies. It was a feast for the eyes when it first came out, and it is still impressive today, although no longer unique. I like the sense of wonder you get as history becomes legend and legend becomes myth over two and a half thousand years. The extended version of the movie actually follows the prologue of the book more closely. And it's narrated by Bilbo. I only saw the extended version about a year ago, so it's all still pretty new and exciting to me. The set for Hobbiton is awesome. I've always loved it. You can't watch this and not just want to be transported there. And of course, the music. It fits the visuals so well. And it's got to be one of the most memorable pieces of movie music that I've ever heard. I love it. The new scene where Bilbo has a panic attack because he can't find the ring is a nice touch. It shows the addictive powers that it has over all those who own it. Bilbo and Frodo kind of represent two different responses to the amazing world Tolkien created. Bilbo is tired of living in the idyllic shire. He wants to go and travel to experience adventure again. Frodo also has some interesting adventure, but he is still in love with the shire. And who wouldn't be? I can identify with both of them. I want to go and see the whole of Middle Earth. But I'd want to know that the Shire is still there to return to. If there's one thing the story shows us at the beginning, it's that life in the Shire is very, very good. One of the best things about being a hobbit is how much they love food. They also like drinking beer and smoking pipe weed. Neither of which interests me. But I love food. <laughs> Can't you tell? Bilbo has some genuine regret about leaving Frodo behind. He's the only family that Bilbo actually likes. Bilbo's behaviour regarding the ring stimulates Gandalf's suspicions straight away. He doesn't know the full story, but there's definitely something off about it. The ring hasn't been used in decades. When Bilbo uses it to escape, he doesn't seem to suffer any effects. No scary, flaming eye staring at him. But that moment of usage is probably what first gets Sauron's attention. The ring calls out to him after all these years. Now he must retrieve it. And so Gollum is captured and tortured. I like the scene in the movie where Gandalf is researching the ring. I know it's just him reading to himself, but it adds a real sense of history. So life continues as it always has back in the Shire. They eat, they dance, they sing. It's a truly joyful moment when we see them in the pub. And then Gandalf shows up to share what he has learned with Frodo. For that one moment, when Frodo says there is no text, I think that Gandalf thinks maybe just maybe he was wrong. But then when Frodo says the elvish writing has appeared, his face just drops. So this trinket that Bilbo handed onto Frodo is the One Ring. Such a significant and ancient thing. While both Frodo and Gandalf must be feeling a whole lot of fear and dread in this moment, there's got to also be a profound sense of wonder that they'd be feeling as well. I know I would. Which I suppose is a problem, because it's just another thing that makes the ring more enticing. The discovery of the ring comes in parallel with Gandalf learning of the return of Sauron and the regathering of the forces at Mordor. Even the hobbits are talking. They know something is brewing in the wider world. We learn here that the ring is basically sentient. It has a consciousness. It thinks. It has desires. This is because Sauron poured part of himself into the ring. It's like a piece of his consciousness, possessing the inanimate object. Without this, it's just a piece of gold, like any other. When Frodo learns the truth about the ring, his first impulse is to hide. It's actually impressive how quickly he formulates a good plan. Nobody knows it's here. We just bury it and never speak of it again. That's a good plan, and it could have worked. Maybe for thousands more years. Except that it's too late because of Gollum. Sauron got to Gollum first, and has told him exactly where to find the ring. Shire Baggins. That will take the enemy, literally, to Frodo's front door. This is the point in the book where we get an interesting discussion about mercy, a discussion that happens much later in the movie. Frodo wishes that Bilbo had just killed Gollum back when he found the ring. If he had, their problems would be over. They could hide the ring, and Sauron would probably never find it. It actually comes across a little callous, just how quick Frodo is to wish death upon another, even a creature as wretched as Gollum. Specifically, Frodo says, It's a pity Bilbo did not stab that vile creature, when he had the chance. And Gandalf replies, Pity? It was pity that stayed his hand. Pity and mercy, not to strike without need. And he has been well rewarded, Frodo. Be sure that he took so little hurt from the evil, and escaped in the end, because he began his ownership of the ring with pity. Frodo admits that he has no pity for Gollum, and that is because of his fear. And isn't that just so true of fear and the attitudes that it leads to? He says Gollum deserves death. Deserves it? Gandalf says. I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death. And some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be too eager to deal out death and judgement, for even the very wise cannot see all ends. I have not much hope that Gollum can be cured before he dies, but there is a chance of it. And he is bound up with the fate of the ring. My heart tells me that he has some part to play yet, for good or ill, before the end. And when that comes, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many." I really like this conversation. As for myself, I value things like mercy and compassion, so I love what Gandalf says. At this point, Frodo just wants to give the ring to Gandalf. He doesn't want any part in it, and Gandalf immediately refuses. It is far too great a temptation for him. The ring has great power, and if he possessed it, he would want to use that power for good. But the ring would work great evil through him. This isn't just a question of power corrupting something. I don't take that as a given. The ring itself is evil. It has its own will. So the ring doesn't just represent neutral power. To me, the ring has always been a pretty strong representation of temptation and sin, and this is seen thematically throughout the entire story. Gandalf doesn't believe he has the necessary willpower to resist the temptation when it comes, and he's very wise to recognise that. So he chooses to exercise that willpower now and refuse the ring. Better never to possess it. But what does that say about Frodo? He wants Frodo to keep it. He worries that it will be a great burden to Frodo, of course. But I think he recognises a moral strength in Frodo that most lack, including himself. And then they realise that Sam was outside the window, and we get that awesome, amusing line. I ain't been dropping no eaves. I love that line. It's not some witty one-liner, it's just a statement that comes out of a genuine simple misunderstanding. Gandalf warns Frodo to never put the ring on. Its use will draw the attention of Sauron's servants. It wants to be found. And that's chilling. Anyway, we'll see how that goes in the future. And so here is where my walk actually begins. Frodo and Sam leave Bag End. That's the starting point on my walk to Mordor app. It's taken a long time to get to this starting point, but it's been well worth it. So within less than a page, we hit my very first milestone, Tookland. It's just a sentence. It says they pass through Tookland. This is where Pippin's family are from. From here on, the order of events between the book and the movie are a little bit different, but they both follow the same points. My walk to Mordor app obviously follows the book. As they're walking through a paddock, Sam stops and says, This is it. If I take one more step, it'll be the furthest from home I've ever been. I like this recognition of the significance of this moment. It's not an expression of fear or anxiety about being so far from home. It's a simple acknowledgement of something that feels very significant to Sam. I understand this. I went on my first cruise a few years ago. I was 39 at the time, and I'd never been outside of Australia. This would be my first time setting foot in another country. I felt like Neil Armstrong. I remember that morning at our first port. Numea, the capital city of New Caledonia. I stepped slowly down the gangway towards the soil of another nation. I say soil, but it was actually concrete. It was a dreary industrial port. But that wasn't the point. This was a significant moment to me. Unfortunately, the staff were hurrying us on to get a photo, so I didn't really get to sit and really take in that moment, savouring it like Sam does here. Even before Saramon is revealed to be evil, there are hints. Isengard looks very dark and creepy. Saruman looks at Sauron and his armies, and he can find no logical way to defeat him. Faced with what he believes is an inevitable defeat, he believes the only option left is to join Sauron, because it is impossible to oppose him. Gandalf accuses Saruman of abandoning madness for reason. But it could be argued that Saruman's choice here is governed by pure reason, cold, unfeeling logic, absolute pragmatism. Gandalf has one thing that Saruman lacks faith. That there are forces in this world other than the forces of evil. That even in the face of seemingly impossible odds, there is still reason to hope. That even a hobbit could in fact oppose the will of Sauron. It's illogical, and it doesn't add up mathematically. But choosing faith is a preferable option to giving in to the evil. And I really love that about Gandalf. Also, I've gotta say. What was Tolkien thinking, naming Sauron and Saruman such similar names? And given that Saruman ends up working for Sauron, that's really on the nose. One of the first things a modern author is taught is not to give characters names that will get confused with one another. Try not to even have two main characters whose names start with the same letter. Then we reach my second milestone, the encounter with the Black Rider. The movie does an especially good job of this. It's so creepy. Frodo senses something off about the Black Rider, even before he appears. He is, of course, a ring wraith. It's such a tense moment, and it stops near the tree they're hiding under and sniffs. Frodo is really tempted to use the ring to hide, even though Gandalf warned him not to. It takes Sam to keep him from doing it. If he'd put it on, it would have been all over the rider would have sensed the ring more strongly and killed them then and there. My next walking milestone is meeting with the elves at the 65km mark. That's a fair chunk of walking, and Frodo still hasn't even left the borders of the Shire. At this point in the book, Frodo is getting worried about Gandalf, who was supposed to show up for his farewell party, but he hasn't been heard from. In the movie, the encounter with the elves is brief. Frodo and Sam spy them in the distance, but don't actually make contact. They are already aware that the elves are leaving to the harbour, leaving Middle-earth forever. This makes me think of, and is very likely the inspiration for, the first ones from Babylon 5. Going beyond the rim and leaving our galaxy. It's a powerful trope. It's like all the magic is leaving the world. Sam says it makes him feel sad. I get that. Sheridan expressed a similar feeling in Babylon 5. Delaine's response was, Now we make our own magic. The last milestone I'll talk about in this episode is Farmer Maggot's Field. In the movie, Farmer Maggot's Field is where they finally meet up with Merry and Pippin. Keep in mind that this is further than Sam has ever been away from home. Keep in mind they've travelled two nights and at least one and a half days. My walk to Mordor app says it's 98 kilometers from Bag End. But they find Merry and Pippin casually here stealing crops. It doesn't quite add up. Have those two travelled two days and slept under the stars two nights just to come here and steal some carrots? It sounds like they do this almost every week. By the way, it says a lot about hobbits that they so love raw vegetables, the rebellious young hobbits would steal vegetables with such glee. It's not just junk food that they take delight in. They love their veggies too. Of course, in the book, they go in and have a drink and a meal with Farmer Maggot. The stealing of crops is just a part of Frodo's childhood backstory. The main point of all these encounters seems to be to remind us that the black riders are dangerous and re-emphasises that they are actively searching for Frodo. But there's a little moment I like when Frodo says, I've been afraid of you and your dogs for over 30 years. It's a pity, as I've missed out on a good friend. And that's just so true, isn't it? Fear can make us miss out on all sorts of things, including friendships with people who may not be at all as we feared them to be. Also, I'd like to point out that while Frodo, Sam and Pippin got to ride all the way to the ferry in Maggot's wagon, I had to walk all that way. Anyway. That brings us to the fifth milestone on my journey, Buckleberry Ferry. So I'm gonna leave it here for now. Next time I do a Lord of the Rings Read, Walk and Watch, we'll meet Tom Bombadil. Feel free to add me as a friend on the Walk to Mordor app if you're using it. Next time on Nerd Heaven, in two weeks time, I'll be talking about Star Trek Generations, that epic meeting between captains Jean-Luc Picard and James T. Kirk. I've got plenty to say about the movie, so I hope you'll join me. Until then, live long and prosper. Make it so.